educational podcast, the Georgia High School Principals Podcast, a podcast by high school principals, for high school principals and all educators of Georgia. I'm your host, Jim Finch, and I'm the principal of Mary Persons High School. I want to wish all of our listeners a happy new year for 2020. Mary Persons High School is part of the Monroe County School System, and we're located in Forsyth, Georgia, not to be confused with Forsyth County, which is located just north of the Atlanta area. We're located about 20 minutes north of Macon on I-75 in Middle Georgia. So the Georgia High School Principals Podcast has 11 episodes so far in its inaugural season, with this being episode 12 and our first episode of the 2020 calendar year. It's long been a professional learning goal of mine to develop podcasts as I've been inspired by other podcasts that I've listened to. When I started this podcast, I wanted to uh, target high school principals first and then take it from there to maybe various jobs that are designed to support the work of high school principals, folks like superintendents, assistant superintendents, assistant principals, athletic directors, RISA directors, other central office personnel, and so on. We started off with a lot of topics that we've covered in our first several episodes. And those are mostly topics that high school principals deal with on a daily basis. We talk about those topics and hope that listeners may learn from the conversations and dialogue that the podcast will present. Feel free to provide any feedback to me for future topics. And also feel free to share our podcast series on any and all platforms of social media. My email is jim.finch at mcschools.org. Again, any feedback is welcome at email jim.finch, that's J-I-M dot F-I-N-C-H at mcschools.org. I'm in my 13th year here as principal at Mary Persons High School and my 14th year overall as a high school principal. I served as a high school principal for one year at Rutland High School in Bibb County before moving to Mary Persons. Before that, I was at Peach County High School where I was an assistant principal for my last two years there. I spent 12 years at Peach County High School, bringing a total years of an, as an, a high school administrator to 16 years. And before being an AP there, I was a math teacher and a coach at Peach County High School. I'm in my 26th year overall I'm married to Kelly Kennedy Finch, who is actually from Fort Valley there in Peach County. And we've been married for 21 years and we have four children. Those who know me best know that I'm crazy about all sports, most particularly though football. But I like all kinds of sports. I like to meet new people and travel with my family. I also like to play golf. I like to cook outside on the grill or the egg. I'm also a casual hunter. I like to hang out with friends and vacation with my immediate and extended family. I love to listen to all kinds of music. Uh, I really like to listen to live music whenever I can, big name concerts or even just local talent. So that's a little bit about me, but we'll get to the heart of the matter of why we're talking to high school principals across our state for professional learning. Today's guest is none other than yours truly. So I'm going to take the liberty to speak with you about several topics that are pertinent and relevant to the work of high school principals. First topic for today is school safety. 
many of you know that school safety in 2020 is so much different than it was I mean, even when I started in education, which was 1994, which was obviously pre-Columbine. I think back to the time when I was teaching and coaching there at Peach County, and we had a lot of buildings that you had to secure there, and there were so many of them that remained unlocked because we had students that rode back and forth or walked back and forth between school buildings. And I think now as as a principal now in 2020, I think back to when I was teaching there, and you, you know, you kind of wonder, you know, how are those buildings secure? And when we added a security fence, when I was teaching and coaching there, a security fence was added, you know, towards the front there of the high school. And I can remember people being upset with it because, or upset that, that we had installed a fence there because they thought that it kind of created the ambiance of a prison, for lack of a better way to explain it. And I can remember the students complaining about that. And didn't really hear any parents complain about it, but I, those students that were complaining back then, 20-some-odd years ago, I'm sure they have school-aged children now. Some of them may even have high school-aged children. And I wonder how they view that security fence now, now that they're, they have kids there. And that's just one small thing that has changed. That's not a small thing, but there's so many other things that changed. That's just one small snippet that I'm trying to convey here that, you know, if, if a security fence was added in 2020, I'm sure that, that a lot of people would applaud and never complain that it was, that it was added because they knew it was there to protect the, the children. But school violence was, was so foreign to us at that time, even even after Columbine, you know, so many people thought that school violence would never affect their school. But so much has changed since then, and you know, I wonder how people just view simple things like security fences now, and whether or not it actually makes a difference or whatever it does, but as you think about things like those small little anecdotes of, of how safety has changed, what measures of change in school safety have you noticed over your time? When you think about it, do you think about things like school safety audits? Have you had an external agency come in and maybe walk your building and see whether or not, you know, you have some some uh, some weaknesses for school safety or, or some improvements that you need to make in school safety? How did your school use the $30,000 safety funds that were allocated by the governor? I know several schools who purchased sophisticated alert systems for their campus. I'd be interested in hearing more about those effectiveness of those systems. I don't know a lot about them. I've seen uh, some of them at conferences that I've gone to, but quite frankly, I don't, I don't know a lot about them. So I'd like to hear from um, maybe some principals who have uh, alert systems. Some schools have beefed up their security by putting in more surveillance, more camera school, uh, cameras in the school buildings.
if you have any out-of-the-box safety improvements that you've done at your school, I'd like to hear about those too. So again, my email is jim.finch at mcschools.org. Email me with any of those thoughts or ideas about school safety that your school or school district has undergone. That's kind of a topic that's a perfect segue to our next topic, which is school culture and climate. There have been some links in research between school violence and how healthy a school's culture and climate is. Schools who learn how to implement and sustain that healthy school culture are less susceptible to school violence because you know you have administrators who keep their thumb on the pulse of the school and usually try to engage all students through clubs and activities and through the curriculum process and they typically have less or fewer disenfranchised students for those schools who have a vibrant and healthy school culture. You know, jocks and nerds and bullies have long been archetypes of high schools and just merely mentioning these archetypes many of us can conjure up images of our high school friends who kind of fit those descriptions when if ever are those roles ever going to cease to exist in a high school i would say they're always going to be there some other questions to ponder are when will inclusion and diversity be celebrated and remembered for students in a high school? So we can all remember those archetypes. Will, be, will we be able to remember the inclusion and the diversity in our high school 15, 20 years later? And when I say inclusion, I'm talking about celebrating diversity uh, of students and race, as well as including students with severe and profound disabilities in campus life activities. And while we're speaking about it, a good club for you to look at starting at your at your school is called a Best Buddies Club. It's actually called Best Buddies International. It's a good club for your campus life. Usually connects students with dis not usually, but it connects students with disabilities with regular education students. Look that up and see how involved and connected your students with and without disabilities become. So continuing along this vein. What does your school do to promote a healthy school culture and climate? Schools and clubs should be bringing students together instead of silently acknowledging and feeding those aforementioned archetypes that we talked about. Do you recognize and reward good behavior? Is your culture healthy enough to withstand school violence threats? And what are you accomplishing by recognizing and rewarding or engaging the disenfranchised student? Are you creating a more connected student? What about an increase in programs or clubs that will engage students who may otherwise exist on the fringe of a high school social network? Being able to find something for everyone at your school building. I think that's something that everyone would like to have at their school is something for everyone. Have enough programs that engage students and keep students in school so they ultimately graduate. What's your response to reports of bullying? 
Do you really investigate them? Do you document them? Do you follow the protocols and the processes? And not just for those socially accepted students or the popular athlete. Are you really looking to connect students in ways to open them up to diversity and acceptance, teaching tolerance, accepting students from all backgrounds? And do you model as, as adults this, this type of behavior? You remember, students are constantly watching us as adults, and they will perform and behave accordingly. So I talked a little bit about the research and the connection between culture and climate and school violence from maybe disenfranchised students. A good article to read about checking the viability of your school culture is called The Multi-Dimensional Impact of School Climate. This article was written by Cheryl Spittler, and it was posted by NASSP in April of 2017. It's a principal self-checking guide to promoting positive school culture. According to Spittler, principals should build an environment of respect, empathy, and kindness and model these behaviors throughout the school day and school year. Engaging in dialogue about race and student differences its another way to acknowledge and approve of diversity that can help school safety. So all of what you do during the school day and school year can send clear signals about the importance of diversity, tolerance, and inclusion to your internal and your external stakeholders. Again, the name of that, that article is The Multi-Dimensional Impact of School Climate. And it was posted by NASSP. NASSP puts out the uh, Principal Leadership magazine every month. You can also find that online. It was posted in April of 2017. You know, that signal that you send to all of your important stakeholders, it can lead to improved safety in those four and five star ratings that are earned through CCRPI. And those ratings can do more than just communicate to external, ex external stakeholders like you know, chambers of commerce or real estate agents or, you know, future industry members of your community. Those ratings should affirm to your faculty, staff, and students, and parents, and everyone involved in your school community that school personnel are serious about maintaining a healthy climate for the teachers to teach and the students to learn. So it's very important that you do all of the things that, that you can that that will lead to that sustaining, healthy culture of your high school. Let's move on to another topic that all of our guests have, have spoken about. That's the topic of aspiring leadership. And before I get to that, let me kind of tell you my leadership story. I grew up in a patriarchal home but I learned leadership from both my daddy and my mama. Daddy was a 47-year educator, and he spent 33 years as a high school principal. So I learned a lot just by watching and listening to him, and same with my mama. She was a teacher, but she was more than just a teacher. She was a teacher leader, even when that term wasn't used very much back then. And she was also a leader in our community and in our church. And 
I'm also the youngest of four children, so I was able to look up to my, my siblings for characteristics of leadership as well. So you kind of know a little bit about, you know, uh, the family that I, that I come from. I come from a line of educators as well. And so I started my career as a teacher to coach it, like I said, at Peach County and Fort Valley. And uh, it was there I was surrounded by a lot of great leaders who instilled values in me that I still hold true today. And leadership a lot of times is not what you see or feel inside of you, but sometimes it's, it's what others see in you. So the feedback from others or the encouragement that you receive from others is very powerful, especially during the formative years of your leadership journey. We had a math teacher at Peach County High School who retired after 62 years of teaching, no lie. She taught for 62 years, which is more than double the time of employment that most educators put in. And she was an icon at our school there. And if you were to mention her name in Fort Valley today, there, there are many people who would remember her because of, of how well she taught and how she taught for so long. And at her retirement, I was the, when she retired, I was the youngest tenured math teacher in our department with six years of experience. So when she retired, the principal actually came to me and said, I want you to be our math department chair. I said, what? I said, we have so many more experienced teachers in our department that can do a lot better job than I, I could. I said, I've only been doing this for six years and I'm sure that be really thrilled to have this 29 year old being their department chair. And so I said, I, I really think you need to talk to other members in the department. And he replied, I already have. And they all want you to be the department chair. So obviously you could have knocked me over with a feather by that time and because, you, you know, I didn't see myself as that leader the way obviously the principal did and other members of my department did. And so that kind of began my journey into leadership. And so I served as, as the chair for, for four years and then transitioned into an assistant principal's position there at the high school. Department chair and I can also remember how I got the AP job. I was called into the superintendent's office during the summer as I was conducting summer workouts for a football team. I was still coaching football, and head coach called me and said the superintendent wanted, me, wanted to see me in her office, and he asked, you know, you screwed up anything or messed up? And I said, no, I didn't think I did, but I'd let him know after the meeting, so I arrived to find our superintendent in her office and with our new principal, who used to be our assistant principal there at Peach County, and it was in this meeting that they asked me to be the assistant principal. Again, I was caught off guard and didn't know how to respond. I'd never really been through any formal leadership training other than on-the-job training and, you know, get my master's degree. And most of the on-the-job training that I had was called the Don't Make This Mistake Again training. So that's all I really had. And, so after agreeing to continue coaching football, I took on the challenge of becoming an assistant principal, which I wouldn't advise for anyone to do that, but some folks have done that. I, I've done it, so as, an, as being an administrator and being a football coach is just kind of dual roles that often intersect a lot of times, but it's hard to fulfill the job duties of both of those and doing them, doing them well.
So I did that for two grueling years as an assistant principal. And point here is that my superintendent and my new principal saw the leadership in me to approach me about being that assistant principal. You know, and that was a tough two years doing um, coaching football and, and trying to learn how to be an administrator in the building. And that was trying to learn how to be an administrator in the building in which I taught, which is also a challenge. Uh, you know, when you leave being a teacher to being an administrator uh, and you're doing it with folks who you used to teach across the hall from or right beside, uh, just presents a whole new dynamic between um, teacher and administrator there. So combine that with trying to be a husband and a father and sooner or later, one of those roles is going to get neglected. And so I, I didn't feel as though I was good enough at any of the jobs that I did. So 10 years in the classroom, two years in, as an administrator, you know, did 12 years of experience. And actually those two years of being an assistant principal felt like 12 years in and of themselves. So at the end of my 12th year, I received a call in June of 2006 from, uh, from personnel there in, in Bibb County schools indicating that the principal at Rutland High School had abruptly resigned and, and they were looking for a new principal. So after spending an hour on the phone with some people, they kind of convinced me that I should at least interview for the job. And I didn't think I was sufficiently prepared to be a high school principal yet, even though I'd, I'd done all my years in high school. I'd, I'd only been an administrator for two years and I really didn't feel like I had learned as much as I needed to in those two years because I was still trying to do so much else with school and I didn't know if I really should abandon my path towards trying to become a head football coach as well. So long story short, I took a leap of faith and was named the principal of Rutland High School in June of 2006. But once again, my leadership qualities were noted and seen by someone else. So uh, it's important that you, uh, you have those mentors and, uh, and you connect to people in a lot of ways and that you do your job because uh, people are always watching that. And then not long after that, uh, I only spent one year there at, at Rutland, and it was a very good job, and it was a very good time there, but uh, I was approached to, uh, to, to become the principal at Mary Persons, and after looking to it, I decided it was the best move for my career and my family. And so, you know, that leadership opportunity actually came through uh, some connections to uh, a job that, you know, that I had there at Peach County and some personnel I had to work with down there. You know, the coach that had hired me straight out of college he was now the head football coach at Mary Persons, and he passed my name along to the superintendent, and I was fortunate to be named after their search and interview process. So I learned a lot about the leadership in these last 13 years uh, as being a high school principal than all of those other years combined. And so why do I tell you all this? Um, you know, I never really sought out the leadership op opportunities like I should have when I was becoming an aspiring leader. Or maybe, I, you know, the way I look at it now, it didn't feel like I did. And maybe other folks would argue with that and say, no, you, you did a good job of seeking out leadership opportunities. But I didn't feel like I did what I should have done to try to prepare myself for my leadership journey. And I did what others told me to do, but I just don't feel like I took the full initiative that aspiring leaders have to take in this day and time. And as an aspiring leader, you need to be looking for that leadership opportunity. 
serving as a department chair. I did that, but it wasn't like I stuck my hand up in the air wanting to do it. And I think if you're an aspiring leader, you need to be the one that sticks your hand up in the air and says, I want to be the department chair. Or supervising proms, showing your principal or showing your assistant principal that you're willing to go do the extra activities that make up a high school, that contribute towards that school culture and climate, athletic events, serving as an advisor of a campus activity or a club, participating in professional learning. Last, certainly not least, doing your job in an exemplary fashion that people notice you. That means being a good teacher, and that means being a good employee. So obviously being a good teacher is having all the criteria for good teaching and learning, you know, rapport with both students and parents and high expectations in the classroom, no days off, curriculum and instructional specialist. Being a good employee means arriving on time, submitting documents on or reports on time, being a team player, modeling professional behavior for both students and colleagues. After doing all that, seek out leadership development programs and ask your school leaders to sponsor or support your initiative. That means you know participating in conferences or participating in uh, RISA workshops or like RISA cohorts for leadership. And like I said earlier, find a mentor who will tell you like it is, not one who's going to pander to your feelings or excuses. And then when you get an opportunity, when you move into an administrator role, become a member of your state association. If that means you're still a coach, that means joining the GACA, the Georgia Athletic Coaches Association. Or if you're an athletic director, that means joining the GADA. That's the Georgia Athletic Directors Association. If you're a math teacher, that means joining the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics, NCTM. If you're an assistant principal, that means joining the Georgia Association of Educational Leaders, what we like to call GALE, and get involved. That means joining the affiliates of GALE like GASSP or GAMSP or GAESP, any of those principals associations that are that are part of Yale and you, you can't put a price tag on belonging to a state or national association. There are numerous opportunities for professional learning or networking. So get to know the people who do the same work as you do in other settings. You can learn a lot from them. So that's all the time that we have today for episode 12. I want to thank all the listeners of the Georgia High School Principals Podcast, which is a podcast by high school principals, for high school principals and all educators of Georgia. Once again, my name is Jim Finch, and I am your host. Please feel free to listen, like, and share this podcast across your favorite hosting sites. And Please plan on listening to future podcasts. So for today and for episode 12, we are signing off. Thanks for listening.